Welcome back to Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. We are here discussing episode seven. How's everybody doing today? That's you guys in the room. Great. Not them. <laughs> listeners. You guys. That would be awkward if you were asking. Rhea, Tiana, and Sarah back again. Yay! Glad Yay. to be back. Feeling good You're about welcome it. Welcome anytime. Woohoo. Anytime. Uh, so I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. We had our biggest week of, as far as downloads are concerned. So that is a good thing. So thanks for all the good response. Welcome to the new listeners. Uh, we've been part of this group on Facebook uh, that Hulu's had going for a little while, and they just made it public the other day. And so now there's like over 800 and something people on there now. Wow. And so hopefully we have some new listeners. So welcome to the show if you are a first-time listener. Uh, ratings and reviews are encouraged. If you are so inclined, please go to wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a rating and a review. Apparently, the companies that do such things like that very much. Yeah, and, you know, let us know what we're doing right or if you we're not think right. something's terrible and we should stop. Like if somebody needs to get woke or unwoke. <laughs> Woken. More woked. Woken. Wakened. Awakened. The awakening. The awakening. There you go. Uh, also, we have a radio station, Handmaid's Resistance Radio, on Slacker Radio. You can listen to that. All you got to do is go download the free app in any app store or the Google Play Store, and you can listen for free also at slacker.com. And we are also always looking for input on the station, so send us any suggestions you have via any, uh, pretty much any social media you have, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, if you're so inclined to take a picture of your suggestion. And you can also email us at admin at allconsumingcontent.com. Uh, so currently, as I said, we are doing a review and rating giveaway with Feminist Press, giving away totes and pins from Telestic Designs. These are really cool, like, all wood pins, which I want one of those wood, they like engrave them, like a wood, like laser, like a laser, like a thing. Laser. I don't My know how it works, but it's cool because like he's got one that's like Chris Cornell already and he's only been dead for two days. And so it's really awesome. Uh, it prints one, they had all kinds of stuff. They're really cool. So check them out. Telestic Designs, I just... Hit them up and I said, hey, we're doing a thing. Do you want to give us some stuff to give away for the thing? And they're like, yes. So we're in. Awesome. We have more giveaways coming up because I've talked to all these people that were part of the same group on Facebook and said, hey, we like to give away stuff. Do you have stuff? Because your stuff's cool. And we are doing some. I'm really excited about the one because it is going to be like a one of a kind. She only makes them one off and she's going to give one away. On our show, but I'm going to keep it secret because it's awesome and I can't wait. This is when I get I get upset that we're part of the podcast and, and I can't, can't win the things. Uh, you can't win the, the things, before. but she might make us one. Maybe I could pay money for it. All right, so interview this week, we have Delia Harrington, who um, I was contacted by, or I contacted her, I don't remember which. We just found each other on one of the social medias, I think both Facebook and Twitter, and so we've been kind of circling each other and trying to find a date, and we found it, and we interviewed today. So we are going to have that on the podcast. She is a... Uh, Freelance writer, photographer, activist, does all kinds of stuff with all kinds of organizations, has been all over the world doing all kinds of stuff. And so she was kind enough to join me. And uh, she's also covering The Handmaid's Tale for the website Den of Geek. She does all kinds of stuff. I'm so I'm very intrigued by the life and career of a freelance person because I just it just seems like it would be amazing, crazy to me. It's like trying to figure out what you're going to do and how to do it. So that will be uh, right in the middle of this podcast. Actually, we'll break about halfway through and put that in there. Uh, as far as the future of Hand- Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast is concerned. So we've got the second season of the show announced. And so it is my intent, our intent, to keep the show going in some capacity between the end of this season and the beginning of next season. Uh, we'll probably, I would say once a month would be what we go down to. But we're still kicking around the ideas. Um, so if you have any ideas for content or people we should talk to, i uh, Kind of going to take it down because there's not going to be a show to talk about. So we have to talk about something. Um, so I'm hoping to talk about more issues and topical stuff and pop culture stuff and interviews and such. So if anybody out there has anyone they feel we should talk to or can provide some content for us in those shows in between now and the next season, please contact us at the same places you did for everything else, social media and admin at uh, allconsumingcontent.com. All right. So episode time. So where we left off, we just uh, had uh, figured out that the Mexican, official Mexican lady, does not care (laughs) whether you've been raped or whether they've taken your children. All she cares about is, can you make babies for us? But then, lo and behold, secret Mexican secret agent guy 
says, I know where your husband is. And everybody's like, oh, we thought Luke was dead. Because we heard gunshots, but we didn't see them. So he says, I can get a message to your husband. And that's kind of where we leave off. He hands her a piece of paper and says, write something down. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) So this week was all kind of Luke-centric, which was, I thought, I liked it. I heard some varying reviews about the episode itself. uh, But I thought it was nice kind of seeing what happened and where it went. And also getting to see more of the world of the kind of immediate post-Gilead takeover. Um, so what did you guys think overall of the episode itself? It was weird to be focused on a man. It just like seemed odd. I was very interested in what happened to him, but yeah, it did seem super weird to me to be um, following a man along this journey for a whole episode. At first, when I realized they were going to tell us what happened to Luke, I thought it would be like a little part of the show. Yeah, it, was... it felt like a different TV show. It I did. felt like it was much more regular show. I don't know if that means did, anything, yeah. but just okay. Here's some exposition about this backstory of this character. Because what's interesting is you might not know this, but then this happened, and then it, it felt like any other show. Whereas I think the rest of the series has felt so unique that this was almost like a reminder that it's also now a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> right, that this, well, do you uh, think that had to do with the setting? Because he was yes. in other places. He wasn't in Gilead. We very rarely saw Gilead. And when we did, it could have been any kind of militarized state. Yeah. It didn't feel like... You weren't yeah. seeing the dress, I think, that Things were still falling like apart. Gilead. Yeah. I found the book to be vague in parts, which I liked. I liked that the book left a lot unexplained. But the fact that this episode addressed at least some of that, it brought up a lot more questions for me, which I also liked. But... I liked getting some things answered mm-hmm. anyways. And you're right. It wasn't quite, it was tense, but not in the way that the Handmaid's Tale is usually tense. It's like, it was a different tension because he's. It was like Luke. regular action movie tension. Right. Yes, it yeah. Was. Not, it was, not it was Handmaid's Tale. Like, uh, yeah. I, Handmaid's I, Tale, like slowly shaking your head right. the whole time. Like, right, it was. It was Will they get away is a common story. Yeah. Head, right. right. So. As confusing as it was at times, I liked how they jumped the flashbacks around. Me too. Mm-hmm. And kind of gave piecemealed you the escape story of how yeah. they ended up in the car and yeah. didn't do that liner- literally. Is that linearly? Linearly. Mm-hmm. That's the word I'm looking for that I can't say. There were so many. I'd be interested to hear if you picked up on these or thought of these too. I thought there were so many kind of Holocaust parallels about when do we leave? What is it like to leave? Who are our allies? Yeah. What happens to our allies? Who can resist? What happens when you resist? Um, that I just thought, I wonder if they were watching a lot of things about the Holocaust or similar kinds of um, catastrophic, you know, large scale societal events like that, because there were just so many different parallels. When they finally have that argument about we should have left when I lost my job, yes. we should have left when more mm-hmm. of a left, which when all of us would have been out. Right. <laughs> yeah. When we got fired, there were guys <laughs> when every woman the loses sidewalk. their job, like, oh, I would have been so in the Oh my gosh. But she did say that they were held up by the visa process, but I don't want to get ahead of myself, but yeah, those, when should we leave? Should, should we know mm-hmm. I'm too established? Why we got a visa? Like the, all of those questions that come up in a situation like this, mm-hmm. where some people leave yeah. super early and others leave throughout. So I feel yeah, like that's it. very Holocaust. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like. I, there is. I really like that you got to see kind of the. I, when I was typing these notes up, I said the residue of the takeover. Like it's all still yeah. kind of fresh. You're going through the yeah. town, and there's still mm-hmm. like all the stuff spray painted on the wall, on the buildings, and all that stuff is just like had just happened, and like the guards are out there, and when they're driving, and that one scene, and she says, "We're just going to breakfast," and it's not. It's not against the law. And she's like, "Not yet." So I did kind of like it. That it was fresh, and we kind of get to see what the aftermath of their initial takeover was like. The three years did seem quick to me when I was doing the math in my head and I thought, how long would it take to transition them once you've captured the handmaids, mm-hmm. teach them this whole new way of life, get them to you know, subsist and all of that, put them with the first placement because she'd said she'd been with a guy before. That one doesn't work out and she's nearing the end of the second placement. So and all the children of Gilead. Yes, and that did not match. And I thought that was an inconsistency because yeah. they said children of Gilead and those kids were older than... They were like six, three. some of them. Yeah, there was three would have been the oldest, like, really. So. Well, and then you'd have really to count two. for pregnancy. Yeah. yeah, so like two would be two in a few months. Yeah, so maybe a, a continuity issue there. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, they must be counting the young ones that they yanked out of the arms of their parents, you know, that That's would have been was... immediately placed and aren't in school yet. Mm-hmm. But I guess they could. It, it just seemed like they were showing it as I this guess. is what we've created. Yeah, right. totally. Yeah, the totally. It was part of the sales well, pitch. But yeah. Realistically, the people they're showing to don't know any different. 
Yeah. They could Sales grab pitch. those kids off the street and put them in a dress in the the Hitler Youth uniforms and roll them out there and said these were the kids we made and you wouldn't know any different. At least older kids, there would be some kind of weird like this is your new mommy. You know, they'd have right. to. to I think get the them. older kids must have gone straight into the schools, like when we saw in that early and episode where they're working, they're walking to the grocery uh-huh. store. And um, they passed the girls' school. Yes, yeah, the first. Yeah. Like those are all older children. Maybe they're not with wives and commanders. Yeah, I. That's yeah, where I wouldn't think so. Like, where's Hannah? That's what I imagine Hannah yes. would do. Yeah, if that's they gotta be took coming. Her, right? So she's got to be in one of those weird schools. And Hannah's old enough yeah. to be like, no, I just ate pancakes with my mom last week. That's not my right. Mom. What the heck? You know, like, right? How did they? do that whole transition. The transition process is fascinating altogether. So I'm glad yeah. they addressed some of that in the episode itself because you have to wonder how it got from A to B. And this episode did address some of that. Yeah. Most of the time that we were seeing Luke's, what happened to Luke, I was thinking like, okay, any minute now we're going to find out what happened to Hannah, right? Right. Here it comes. No, they're saving that Here one. Let's get our own episode. That's too big. Yeah, you got to leave. Yeah. Gotta leave that for its whole, whole other thing. Yeah, I'm. That's the next thing I'm really anxious to see. I feel like we've seen a lot of Serena Joy. We've seen a lot of Luke now. Tell me what happened to the kid. Right. If they do a Commander episode, I'm gonna be mad. Oh, I'm be like, I don't care about. I that don't really guy. care about him. All right. So let's dive into this. Um, so our first scene is Luke, uh, the escape scene, which we have come back to now on this episode. He wrecks the car, and we kind of get this part from Luke's vantage point at this point. So June and the kid take off. Trying to make it to Canada on foot. And Luke gets his gun out and clearly has uh, not used one before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fumbling with the bullets. Like, I'm sure anybody in that situation who's getting sure. ready to get yeah. shot by Poss- multiple possibly kill somebody. I love that reference, too, when he was like, yeah, I used a gun in college. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> like you do. It's no. not like pot. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I just used the gun recreationally in my house. Like, what? <laughs> That's that was a lie. Oh, God. Um, so he, the guardians show up. He gets shot. And as he's laying there slumped over, because he's shot, but they shot better. Right. Because they're trained and have Yeah, this guns. is like the situation where the bad guys get to be good shots. Yeah, exactly. They're not, happens, right? they're not stormtroopers. They're not stormtroopers. And so we get our first flashback as he's like passing out. And it flash, just a very short flashback to June and Hannah playing with the tape and the, micro, mic, uh, the tape recorder and the microphone. And that kid is cute as hell. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, next thing we get is the ambulance scene, where he is riding in the ambulance, and they did not kill him, and they're talking about questioning him, which I thought was an interesting thing, because I figured maybe they were just going to shoot him. Yeah. I, why oh, they, they want him? they want the information on the resistance. Right, right? because How'd I guess they get the pieces. He doesn't know much. All right. Well, I mean, he knows Where'd you get those who, who they get the pieces from, get how mm-hmm. they get to the house, and Man, who's helping you. I was so you. shocked. I was like, why did they not kill him so that they could just go get the... I guess they just need information. I mean, at that point, it hasn't been very long, you wouldn't think. That's so true. That's they're true. Still they're still working out. on, like, taking everything down. That's right. true. Because you can know. still go to breakfast at that point. I was with her. I didn't understand why they didn't just shoot him. And at one point, they're like, no, we need him alive. And I was like, why would they Right, he's not, like, an important person in the resistance or something. And he didn't really get that far even yeah i don't know <laughs> it doesn't look like he's pulling off a grand scheme here <laughs> once we get to the end of this episode it is quite clear that yeah. luke has no um delusions of or at least the audience is aware that luke should not have any delusions of pulling off any or grand schemes just don't give him a gun yeah no yeah, guns no. for luke um so he's taking the ambulance they don't kill him and i thought the ambulance crash scene where it's like flipping around that was a really cool shot because i don't think i, I mean you've seen like car flipping scenes before, but I've never seen one where it did it that many times. Yeah. Like in a row that was shot like that, where it was like completely around and you're kind of in the middle of it. Yeah. So I thought that was awesome. That was very cool. So they've, they've continued to do some excellent direction and creative, you know, scene work. So he crashes. And as soon as that happened, I was like, okay, so obviously the other guys are getting passed out because that's how the story's going to go. Okay. I was like, let's get a gun. First. Yeah. yeah First take all Number one, shit. get a gun. All the guns. Luke. No. He had to get his glasses. Stuff. How can you okay. find the gun if you, you don't do have, have your glasses? glasses. <laughs> I can't see shit. Okay, okay, Velma. We gotta find the glasses first. I get it. It's fine. I'll buy the glasses. But everything else, I'm getting every gun I can find. And I'm shooting everybody that is in that place. But it was yeah. super smart that he got all of those pills. Just gonna well, say. I had to get the stuff because I mean, he's shot Because he has been shot. Yeah. Been I know, shot. but he took a bunch. And I will, I, I don't guess... think he really know what he was taking. Oh. <laughs> well, I thought it was tactful, but I guess not. That's true. I Luke's would've... not pulling anything. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> totally take the drugs, but also, like, take some sutures. <laughs> well, you know, and I will give him maybe he's in a little bit of shock. 
Yeah, maybe. Been shot in the just abdomen, which is the worst place to be shot. Fair. And he's just been in an ambulance crash. So maybe we're we're being a little too hard on Luke, which is fine. Another thing that I'm going to be hard on Luke unnecessarily about is shoot everyone in the car That's immediately. What? Yes. Yeah. Those people are going to wake up and be like a man named Luke, and, or yeah. like somebody will help them and they'll get their memory back and they'll yep. they'll know. Yeah. Absolutely. Turn him in. Right. So he does. He takes the jacket. He finally gets a gun, and he t- but he doesn't take the big gun. Why do you not take the big gun? Take the big gun. You take can't. both guns. Take everything you can. Nope. He's like gun. Rambo. Yeah. Small gun in a bag. He's cool. his looks. I think we've really... Uh, yeah. <laughs> consensus. He was a trophy husband. He, was, he, was, he got married for his looks and, uh, you know, he's, he was sweet. He continues this thing and he continues throughout the episode where he is like, I just got to get back to my he's wife. He's just not kids. good at this. No. He's like, bro, come on. This is not what you need to do. You need to... That mentality is the same one that kept them there, right? Like, yeah. I, yes. I, I want what yes. I want right now and not what is the best, actual, smartest thing yeah, to do. Yeah, I'm going to go for the thing that my gut wants. Exactly. I'm going to wait for the visas. Even though the country no longer exists. Yeah. Small. It factor. did seem like they didn't realize that until they were told, though. Like, I don't think they got. I think he had some blinders on, though. I think yeah. he was not entirely looking for that information. That's true. Oh, he definitely had blinders on. He continues to have blinders on for the vast majority of his existence in mm-hmm. this show. Especially yeah. like Justin and I were trading some uh, Luke oh. observations. Yeah. So many, so many things making. in the show. He, he did something, and I was like, "But why didn't you do this?" Yeah, exactly. Like at least five times. So many things. So he gets back to the car where they were, and then he kind of takes their same path, June and Hannah, and he finds the bag of stuff. And he finds the shoe. I'm just, I'm trying, I was trying to like put my head around like, hey, this is where my kid and wife just what, got what stolen. Like, like, man. Yeah. I am not very endeared to Luke, I should say. I thought I should like him because in the book, I think you're supposed to or be sort of indifferent. But I'm not. I'm kind of on the other side about Luke. Like when he sees the objects belonging to his wife and daughter, he is like kind of, oh no, and then just kind of moves on. And I get that he's in a survival situation and he's driven and you can't just sit there and mourn your wife and child, but I didn't I didn't love his reaction. <laughs> what well, well, you know, his reaction should have been? A little bit more upset than that. You can kind of assume they're dead then. So I think he does assume that they're dead, but right? not at that point. But like, given the end of the show, like I think he... Right Has then, he does. At some point, that they're dead and not coming back. But like, like right then, I would think dead. They're dead. I'm still going to give him a little bit of credit for the fact that he's bleeding out. Has probably walked an unknown t- number of miles. True. Um, pretty much vomited on himself and got in an ambulance accident. So I'm going to give him a little bit of a break. Fair. He's maybe still I'm, overall. Maybe I mean hard on. Pretty much a moron. <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel I feel just more like he's just not even in a perfect state. Just not prepared for this situation in sure. a way that I think some other humans would be. True. So, like, maybe so Luke what... makes his way kind of on the same path and ends up kind of in a town, I guess. We don't really know where he is. Super uh, eerie. And this is kind of the part where you actually see kind of the immediate aftermath of the Gilead takeover and all the spray painting on the walls of the buildings, you know, Gender Trader, which I thought that was... um. Not something you would spray paint. No, no. I thought that was. was no. a, I thought that was just there because the show came. They had that. Is that in the yeah, book? Because that's what the they call no. people. That they came up with that. Um, and then the fags die. That's something that someone would yeah, spray paint. Yeah, spray paint that right like, now. Yeah. Today that happens. Yes. Yeah, right but now. No, do you know how much spray paint you have to have to put "gender traitor giant" on the side? <laughs> also, it's a very. It's almost like 1984, like the official <laughs> thing to say, right? It's not the slang insult. I was gonna say it's that's the, like the ants phrase. Yeah, like that's. Yes. Yeah, you wouldn't that. think the guys out there, you know, bombarding the streets and <laughs> ransacking all the shops yeah. would be like. G. <laughs> that, How that, do you spell traitor? That's, Phil, a, that's, come a, on. that's an O R at the end of traitor. <laughs> Don't get confused. Over. Yeah, so it, he, it was he, a little Walking Dead ass. Makes, he makes his way to this cafe, we guess, and then he passes out, um, like you do when you've been shot and walking for a long time. And it's cold. I really noticed the weather so much in this, similar yeah. to Winter's Bone, where yeah. you just feel like the cold is such an essential yeah. part of the setting that I felt like it needed to be cold for it to be more miserable in a very specific way. Because cold slows you down, too. Yeah. Right? You're like, you can't Again, think as well. Again, very Kubrick-esque. Yes. They're in Boston, right? 
Yes. Uh, I think at this point they're way north oh, of Boston. Oh, right. They're True. supposed to Duh. be like in Maine or something. Okay. Yeah, I forgot about because that. Because they were crossing on foot, and I think earlier in the season, somebody referenced that they were trying to cross in Maine. So we do get another flashback once he's passed out. We got June, June Hannah, Luke, and there's, this is where they're driving to meet the guy who's going to drive them out of town. So they're driving through downtown, and this is when they have the conversation mm-hmm. about... You know, we're just going to breakfast. It's okay. It's not not against the law yet. And she's like, Don't look not suspicious. Yet. Right. Everybody cool. <laughs> Meanwhile, cool. she looks super suspicious. Right. <laughs> and uh, there's, you know, this, at this point in the process of Gilead, the patrols are out. The machine gun guys are everywhere. Uh, Hannah's asleep. Been a drilled like you yep. do in the, in the back seat. <laughs> like you would if you're going to, like, you know, make a run for the That's border true, as yeah. it were. True. Um, so we get to... Okay, so this is a great part. I thought it was really funny that they did have them argue over the fact that they hadn't left yet. Like, it was a normal, like, conversation like argument you would have as a married, married couple. couple. Like, yeah. They're just arguing over, oh my god, we should have left the fact that our country is being taken over by crazy people when Moira did. And Luke was like, we had a kid, and Moira went on foot, so that wasn't really an option. But I just thought it was funny. Still, though. Should have left earlier. Yes. I agree. You can't just, like, you know, walk your kid You can. That far. They do it in the sound of music. They walk across the Alps. That's true. Well, if the sound of music is anything, it's clearly a guide for life. (laughs) Based on a true story, they really did cross the Alps. But yes. Yeah, it is. You can go to the Von Trapp Family Lodge in Vermont. No, you cannot. Yes, you can. We have been plotting and going there for many years. It has just not happened yet. In case you didn't know, it is my favorite movie of all time. No. I can play all of it on the piano. It's also my mother-in-law's favorite movie of all time. You learn something new every day. Sarah, piano skills. Oh, yeah. I played, like, competitively for, like, ten years. Really? What? Where'd it go, Sarah? This is the same reaction that happened at lunch at work. Like, no last way. year, I was like, I yeah, know, I played classical piano shocked. for many years. And everyone was like, you did what? Jean was like, <laughs> well, It's not like it ever comes up. It's one of those things that never comes up in conversation. This is true. You don't yeah. have very many. Oh, that one time when I was having we a competitive piano, piano in the lunchroom. Yeah. We should just put it in there and have you. Like, I should get out my little trophies and statues and all yes. that crap. Yeah. And trophies? Yeah. If you win like consecutive years in a row, you get trophies and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. It's no big deal. It's really good at it. Kind of a big deal, but. It's totally cool. Whatever. So they have the argument, which is awesome, because it's a typical married argument, um, which I'm sure everyone has had a similar argument to that, that hopefully didn't involve having to escape peril. Um, but it was a way... My, com- my comment on everything she says is, yep, 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 and yep. You should have left when the guy with the machine gun showed up at your office and said, guess what, you don't have a job anymore. That that would have been my that been my son. That would have been enough for me. But I don't know why it wasn't enough. So it was the show. Luke said he was going to take care of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Let's all remember their solution to that. Now we problem. get to see how It'll Luke's okay. going to take care of them. <laughs> so we get to our meeting with uh, Mr. Whitford, who is the man who will be driving them out of town. <laughs> Apparently, just out of the county, which is, you know, right? enough, of, enough of a thing that you have to, like, get a guy to drive you out of the county at this point, which is terrifying to think about. I did not remember that June's mom was a doctor. From the book, but I did remember that she was like a rabid feminist. So I yeah. can't remember if maybe yeah, I just I remember didn't remember all that. the details. Yeah, I don't remember. No, I don't think so. I think they just doctor. threw that in to I think they the threw plot. that in to work the vasectomy angle in there yeah, because he said fair. she gave him the snip after they outlawed it. Which I did put an interesting note on here and only because I was watching this movie like three months ago about this feminist uh, movement in the 70s. I guess the whole movement, really. And they were talking about doing uh, home abortions no, because they were illegal. And so they would have, like, some one person's house, and they had doctors come in and show yeah. them, kind of as a group, how to perform them, and so they would do them. So I just thought that was an interesting kind of reverse take on that, that the men would have to go find somewhere to get a vasectomy, and because they outlawed it, because, you know, it's baby-making time. Gotta save the planet. Curious. I'm gonna have to do some research on this, because I know... The state of Israel has some really interesting kind of reproduction, fertility laws and issues because they are so heavily invested in creating more Jews. Like, this is the Jewish state. This is what we are doing. We want more Jews. So they heavily invest in infertility treatment and everything is covered and all of that. But I think they might have some kind of anti-vasectomy. Because I was reading, and I know we said we were going to talk about this. So there was an article that was a few weeks ago that I read that was like kind of a rundown of laws that were similar, not all at once, but in countries that had similar effects of what the Handmaid's Tale stuff has. So in Israel, they were talking about how you can't divorce 
Yeah. Your husband? Yeah. Well, so in Israel, marriage is only religious. So you can only get married um, in a religious ceremony, which means you have to be, both partners have to be Jewish. So you can be married and, and not religious in Israel, but you have to get married elsewhere and then move to so Israel. So you're not getting married yeah, in Israel are, at all? You cannot have a secular wedding in Israel. Yeah. So in order to get married, you have to be... Now, there are different rules for, like, Arab-Israelis that they that they follow, but you can't be... And even I couldn't get married in Israel because my conversion wouldn't be recognized by the Orthodox. So what about divorcing? Though? This you was, do have this, to get both parties to agree. Like, a husband has like to a let a wife yeah, out I think of this, marriage. The it's point called of the, a get. The right. husband has to grant the woman the right to divorce So she just him. can't. She can't leave because yeah. and, the situation is And she can't get remarried either. After until that? until he until says, she has a get yes oh, there's a whole category of women called agonot who are these they call them chained women who are stuck to their husbands because the husbands won't give them a get it's considered a very terrible thing to do on the man's part it is yeah. not it is not it's an not a normal thing to do yeah. but people do it why wouldn't your conversion be recognized because i had a reform rabbi do the conversion and orthodox rabbis don't recognize a lot of reform rabbis especially because she's a woman so because they don't recognize female rabbis, they would say you weren't converted according to our precepts. So, hmm. yeah. so they asked me if I cared about that, and I said no. Uh, so Mr. Whitford, <laughs> this is my favorite part. This might be my favorite dumb Luke move of the day. Um, so he's like, you guys need to get rid of everything. You have your phones. Chucks the phones on the ground, stomps on them, and Luke's like, oh, bro. <laughs> I know. And I turned it off. There were dudes with machine guns on the street. Yeah. Get rid of your iPhone. Suck it up. Then we'll he's be like, okay. all right, you guys got to get in the trunk. And Luke's like, oh. And then he's like, you got to get rid of all your stuff. You can't look like you're running. And Luke is like, oh, again. I know. He like, takes out his wedding photo yeah, album. And I'm like, album. dude. My note was, shut up and get in the car. Uh, so they're driving. They get pulled over. But luckily, as the script says, uh, we have a friendly guardian who is uh, a friend of Mr. Whitford. Who does a little open the trunk, look in, nothing to see here, close the trunk and move on. Because apparently he took Mr. Whitford's, uh, sister I couldn't remember prom. if he took his sister to the prom or if Mr. Whitford took his sister to the prom. Mr. Whitford took his sister to the and prom. And he owes me a favor. I don't know what that means. Like, if things went good with the sister or went bad with the sister. I think, so it was I think bad. the sister maybe couldn't find a date. Not desirable. Ah, okay. I got you there. Uh, so they keep on trucking. Um... And that the note I had on here is it was just interesting to think about. I think the reason they do that is because this if this ever happens and it's localized like it is seemingly in this situation, that you would know the people that are like yeah, involved. The guardians. With the guardians yeah. are gonna be like your neighbors or like yeah, some guy you know that is your like your cousin's mailman or something. It's just gonna be like some connection, which is just bizarre to think about because for the vast majority of the show they've kind of been nameless, faceless mm-hmm. guys with machine guns on the street. And to like see that kind of having a connection to another character you're like oh like that would be like my cousin bob down the street yeah. i was like oh, well they're in boston like, they're in a major city so right. you know it wouldn't be as bad as here but yeah that would be super strange right. and extra creepy like you would think that maybe a lot of people would be able to talk their way out of trouble because would they would so. they would just happen to know the person with the gun all right so we've hit about our halfway point so right now we are gonna throw in our interview here this is again we're gonna do an interview with delia harrington Journalist, photographer, activist, freelance, kind of everything, who does a lot of things in the way of activism. And uh, she's going to actually have a podcast that she's trying to put together for sexual assault victims. Nice. Which is really cool. So she's going to talk about that here in a moment. This is Justin, the Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. We are here with Delia Harrington, uh, photojournalist, writer, freelance, kind of mercenary of everything, it seems. How are you doing today, Delia? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Tell me what you're doing right now and tell us a little bit about yourself because I am, uh, and we'll get into this, I'm very interested in the life of the freelance journalist. Sure. So I'm an activist, a digital communication strategist, and a freelance writer and photographer, as you mentioned. It's a mixed bag at any given time. Uh, So right now, for example, I'm between, I'm taking a break between two jobs. So today I'm recording this and then I'm going to go photograph, uh, do a shoot, and then I'm going to meet up with another writer. Um, But then, you know, two weeks from now, I'll be all day in an office. Um, This past August, I was in Nairobi and then Uganda. So it, it changes up quite a bit, which I really enjoy. How did you get into this whole freelance lifestyle? When I graduated, uh, it was in a very recession type time. Um, and so full time work was not was not great. 
So while I was uh, job hunting, I had always loved writing and I started writing for um, a bunch of different places. Stop Street Harassment was a great one that I loved because um, I did a lot of anti-street harassment activism. Um, and I had written in college for places like her campus. Um, and so I just was doing that more and more. Um, and I've, I've pretty much always had a full-time job of some kind, um, which I enjoy because it, it frees me up to uh, take some gigs that are maybe lower paying, um, but are really great opportunities, which a lot of people can't afford to do if they're doing this for a full-time living. Um, but it also means that I have to be really choosy because I tend to want to say yes to everything, which uh, as you notice, I do a lot of different things and it's because I like to say yes to things that are exciting. But when you have limited time, when you can only work nights and weekends, it forces you to be really picky and to only work on the stuff that's most important to you, which uh, having having a day job forces me to do that a bit. Good. So uh, how do you fit that in with your day job? Is I guess you have to find a full-time employer that is fairly flexible. Yeah, that helps. Um, it also just means I stay up really late and don't sleep a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and when I say day job, it's not like I'm going to go work in finance or something. Like I work for nonprofits. The place that I'm going to work for is Boston Healthcare for the Homeless. They're like an amazing organization. Um, so it really helps that everything that I do in my life all works towards the same overall purpose, which is really great storytelling about issues that are really important to me. So let's discuss The Handmaid's Tale, since obviously this is our podcast covering the show. What have been, I know you're covering it for Den of Geek, correct? Yes. And are you- so I did a spoiler-free review of the first three episodes. Um, and since then, I've been doing sort of one-off features of, of anything that's sort of piqued our interest. Um, it hasn't been episode recaps or reviews, um, which it's kind of nice because it frees me up to write about sort of across various episodes. So not so much tying to any one particular episode, um, which is sort of freeing in a way. So what has been your biggest impression of the show thus far? I mean, I've been really pleasantly blown away. I was, you know, nervous to be so excited for the show because um, I think I've seen, you know, we've all seen things where they translate a book to screen and it, and it doesn't go so well. And then also when they try to capture social issues or especially social issues for a specific community, that often doesn't go so hot. Um, right. but well, and they, they had a little speed bump there at the beginning with the cast yeah. kind of wavering on, well, not even wavering, just coming out outright saying that it wasn't necessarily a feminist show. So it in some ways, I, I get Margaret Atwood, she, you know, later went in and said, oh, they should have added like an only and a not, or, you know, she sort of edited it. as a writer mm-hmm. often does. She was editing their statement. Um, I honestly think part of that has to do with where she falls in the, the feminist history and her understanding of feminism, which um, when I think about sort of the current wave of feminism, it's an intersectional feminism that really you know, centers, black women, women of color, immigrants. It's a feminism that values trans women, you know, TERFs, right. trans exclusionary radical feminists are not welcome in any any feminist space that I belong in. And I do think there's value in the women's rights or human rights and human rights or women's rights statement. Uh, right. But yeah, when you truncate all that down, especially when you're sitting next to, you know, like an executive from Hulu, it does make it sound like you're just trying to avoid Controversy. Uh, yes. Yeah. And it's especially upsetting when they clearly were using the idea of feminism and the idea of all of the uh, momentum that's been built after the inauguration to try right. and sell the show. So you can't use us for one thing and then turn around and not love us. But, and I also do feel like the show itself, it has its feminism in check. I do think that the, you know, I was just listening to, to your last episode and the race thing is not being handled on the show like it's just not being handled right like they're yes, just ignoring right. it they're, yeah, they've tried to isolate it, yeah. the variable which is not how race works right you can't just be like we're just not gonna talk about this one especially in a in a society that's been taken over by a right-wing religious you know organization <laughs> you would yeah. you would think that it would come up sometime yeah, I think the best explanation I read for it, what read about it was um, a commentator saying, you know, it would be actually really difficult to deport as many people of color as they would have to deport at this point, given the numbers. 
So that would be more of an uphill battle and just the logistics of it would be really difficult. And like, that makes sense to me, but then like have someone say that, have them discuss that. Um, I did notice that it seemed like most of the men anyway, like the black men and other men of color that I saw, it seemed more or less like they were at least on the men's side, they were in the lower ranks, so to speak, and they were more in the service positions. If they made more of a point of that and there was some discussion of that and there was thought behind that, I think that would be a worthwhile and interesting commentary. But you have to, you know, pick a direction and commit to it. But uh, other than stumbling out of the gate with the feminism thing and the race situation, your impressions of the show have been pretty positive overall. Oh, absolutely. Um, I really, I thought it was very well directed. Uh, Reed Morano, I thought did a great job setting the tone. Um, I think that they've done an excellent job translating it. Episode three was really tough to watch. I thought that was the hardest one so far, but it really felt like something that would happen in this world. Um, you know, it all of that extra material really flowed pretty seamlessly. And I felt like they've done a great job translating things I would agree that I, 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 there's been nothing that I felt has been forced or out of line with the you know tone of the book or the rest of the show. So I think they've done a good job filling in the rest of the world. And it's been kind of cool to see. So what does the future hold for you? What do you got coming up here that people can latch on to and look for? There's definitely going to be some more articles on The Handmaid's Tale coming up. Um, I'm also working on actually a podcast about sexual assault and how that um, affects our daily lives. So that should be coming up in the next few months. I'll be sure to share that around when that comes out. Let us know. We'll uh, we'll definitely put the word out there to check that out. Yeah, definitely. I do a lot of work with Boston Area Rape Crisis Center. So um, hopefully we'll be interviewing survivors and experts and a whole bunch of people. Any other writing stuff coming up? Any photography? Um, we shall see. I've got a few things in the hopper, but they're not quite, not quite ready to come out yet. Um, I've been working for a while on a project on sexual assault survivors relationships to their bodies. Um, and that is, uh, that's, it's been a long one because when you work with, um, when you work with subjects on a stigmatized issue, you know, you really have to go at their pace and make sure everyone's really comfortable. Um, and I offer people whatever level of anonymity they would like. Um, but so far, most people have chosen to not be anonymous. Um, They've chosen to show their faces or some amount of their faces, which I've been really um, touched with that they trust me to do that. Um, But that doesn't mean there's a lot of, you know, sort of upfront work before I ever take a single picture or take out my camera. Most uh, photography that I see about sexual assault survivors, it's either um, sort of the same kind of like it's done by professional photographers and it's just like a woman looking out a window in shadow being sad or it's like someone who's more an activist and like they're holding up a sign with numbers which is really cool and like it's about the message and it just so happens to be a photo and it's really great messaging um but I really wanted to do something that unified those two things and was like good photography but also had a good message because I don't feel like I'm really seeing a lot that's both excellent I think that's the best way to handle that. If you don't see it being portrayed the way you want to do it, just go out and do it. And I think that's all the, the things that you, <laughs> I think all the things that you're doing. And again, my my goal with doing these interviews on the podcast was to kind of take a show that is very heavy subject matter wise and kind of go, okay, let's look at what's going on out here and who's doing positive things. And I've looked at all your stuff and I, I think what you're doing is fantastic and the, the way you're doing it is great. And I hope you're podcast uh, becomes a great success. I think it's a very important issue to discuss. So once again, this is Delia Harrington, and she is with us here on Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. So tell everybody if they want to find your stuff and get a hold of you in the various ways that they can, what's the best way to do it? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Delia Mary, D-E-L-I-A-M-A-R-Y. And uh, my website is DeliaHarrington.com. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. I really do appreciate it. It's finally nice to talk to you. So it's been it's been really good. And I hope, uh, again, that all your uh, projects and the podcast especially becomes a great success. And just keep us posted so we can uh, promote that for you. Great. Thank you. All right. Once again, that was Delia Harrington. This is uh, Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast proudly presents Hardcore Lady Quotes. Quotes of inspiration, empowerment, and rebellion, chosen, recorded, and read by my kid. For most of history, Anonymous was a woman, Virginia Woolf. (laughs) 
All right, we're back. Thank you, Delia, Delia Harrington, once again for joining our podcast. Uh, hopefully that she gets her podcast going because it sounds really cool. All right, so back to uh, the adventures of misguided Luke. <laughs> so at this point, we are still in kind of our flashback. Uh, we get to the safe house that Mr. Whitford has driven us to. <laughs> I also think of Bradley Whitford. Like, I go yes. straight to... I wonder if that's, like, a thing. Yeah. Like, if somebody knows Brad Whitford and is like, we'll call him Mr. Whitford. I also think, of like, what what, are the, what if Serena joined the commander's last name again? Waterford. Waterford. That's a little too close for me. I think... Come on. Like, give me another name with another letter. I, well, I, I really associate that. And that name seems really appropriate for them to me because it reminds me of Waterford Crystals. Oh, ah, true. Sound, it sounds very snooty. Very fancy. Yeah, it very sounds fancy. very snooty. So we get to the safe house, uh, as I refer to it. Um, so no neighbors for miles, six direct, six in one direction, three in another, three in another. So you're like, oh, cool. That's far enough. Um, so we get in, and this is when Luke gets his gun lesson. And he's like, although I will say, Mr. Whitford, not the uh, most uh, attentive of teachers. You do this, you do this, you put him in here, and then you shoot. Oh, It was very fast. Yes. Yeah, Luke totally acted like he got it. Right. Well, he did, right? <laughs> like, he was no. like, oh, okay. I would have no. been like, no, slower. No. One more time. Show me how to do it. He did not get it. So, and then Mr. Woodford says, I'm going to get your Canadian passports. And Luke's like, well, that's cool. I got American ones. And he said, America don't mean nothing anymore. Those are, uh, those are gone. That's over, is the quote. Yeah. Because that's over. So he leaves. And then... We get another, I guess, sort of flashback of a flashback. I don't yeah, know. I mean, that was another Holocaust moment that I was thinking. Where the the passports don't mean anything anymore was also like if you're Jewish, your passport means nothing anymore. Uh, yeah. If you're a gypsy, but also the cash, the German cash, all of a sudden meant nothing well, because currency. yeah, the, the currency didn't. Did they address that at all? No, money, they don't. Money at all? That's interesting. In, uh... No. Hmm. Maybe that's a bigger, larger task thing. Doesn't the commander reference not having money anymore though? I don't know. In a couple of Scrabble game nights. In the book, because Margaret Atwood is very into the sci-fi language, and she does this in the Oryx and Crake books too, like the CompuBank, and she has all these kind of words for the futuristic systems, um, and they haven't done that in the show, but I feel like that's that's her author's, it's part of her author's style that I don't know if it translates to TV. Yeah, I remember like getting distracted by that when I was reading the book. I was like, what is this? Because it's so 1985, like, too, yeah, to think, like, yeah. in the future, oh, yeah. all of our yeah. money will be in the it internet. Sound like, I was like, does she Visa? <laughs> like, I don't know what that's Go about. Go search that up on CompuBank or AltaVista. AltaVista. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, so we get woken up. Now we're finally back with Luke in the cafe where he's passed out because he's tired of walking and he's all shot up. So, uh, they... This group wakes him up, and they think he's a guardian because he has stolen the coat. And he's like, not a guardian. Don't shoot me. Please don't shoot me. Please don't shoot me. Please don't shoot me. So they don't shoot him. And the one woman who we found, her name is Zoe. She's kind of the leader of the group. But she's a doctor. She patches him up, and she's like, okay, come with us. And the one dude's like, really? we got to take more people. So, you know, they're probably been wandering around trying to get out, scavenging and trying to make their run for Canada. And they're just picking up strays along the way. So the group, the people that are fleeing with them... Is described as army brat, two strays, a gay, and a nun. Um, the stray is the short blonde haired woman who pretty much doesn't, well, doesn't literally speak. doesn't speak and the she's entire. Fingering her, yes, and she tag. has her kettle tag on her ear, which I thought was interesting. Um, and she does yeah. not talk. I was really curious this whole season. When did they do that? Because that is fast. Yeah, because the society has not too. turned over yet all that's the way. What I too. But they've already, they must be going in phases. Maybe right? city by city. Well, Maybe right? New York got captured well, and, first. And June doesn't have her red tag. June hasn't even, oh, well, she has it now. But she does later. now, but, at, you know, this is just like a day after he got separated from her. Yeah. So well, she, didn't, she didn't have her the red tag. The same day that so they can go to happening. breakfast. There are women who are already handmaids. So maybe it's happening in phases Please. against different it parts would of have the country. To. You know? Yeah. Because they do say that they rescued her. She was the only one that made it out of the training center is what they called it. Um, so, yeah, I, I just thought that was interesting. I love that character as it's developed throughout because I thought in some ways the handmade scenes we've seen so far where they're learning the information. Yes, they're shocked, but they're not traumatized. They're not shell shocked. And Janine yeah. is the only one who we see have this radical change. Um, and really you think... Probably some of them would have shut down completely because like this, this, is, this is yeah. really... yeah. Anybody who has like a history of sexual assault or yeah. anybody who's like lived in a really abusive relationship, like those, that's exactly what you're putting them back into. I remember thinking that during the Red Center uh, 
flashbacks we've had throughout the season, it seemed crazy that nobody else seemed to think it was as crazy as they all seemed. seemed to think like, oh, this like, really oh, this is, is terrible. Nuts, not, right. Oh, this is the worst thing that has ever happened in my life. Again, it's a lot of silent acting, mm-hmm. and so she's another one that has a to do lot a lot of silent acting in the show. So she definitely conveyed traumatized, for sure. It reminds me of the book Speak, too. Have you read Speak? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a similar premise of not talking as a way of kind of processing sexual assault. And Who wrote that? Lori Halls Anderson. It is great if listeners are looking for good YA book recommendations. Right. Let's check that out. Uh, and so Luke is kind of in, I just want to find my wife in kid mode still. And they're like, you can't get out of this van. And Luke's like, I need to get out of this van. And they're like, it would be bad. Kind of like in Ghostbusters. Don't cross the streams. Why? Don't it would be bad. Don't get out of the van, Luke. It would be bad. Why? Well, let me show you. But first, another flashback to the cabin. So let's make some pancakes. Let's try and make it normal, which is, I guess, is what they're trying to do. They're trying to keep it as normal for Hannah as possible, which I think any parent can completely understand. You're trying to normalize a insane situation. And they uh, have it pretty good in the cabin if she has yeah, a choice of blueberries or chocolate chips, right? right. Like they're well, being fed pretty well. well. There's food. They have a fireplace. Good safe house. Well done. Uh, but then, here we go. You know what you don't do when you're on the run? You don't go skip rocks, by the way. Nope. That was dumb. Nope. What the hell were they thinking? No matter. And Frank teaches us. It's like making out in the hallway. You, you don't go be loud. in the attic and you play cards and you have a crush on the person you're hiding with and you just stay there. You write in your be journal. quiet. Me and Rhea were texting about this. I was like, what are they doing? And Rhea's like, did nobody learn anything from Diary Man Frank? And I was like, this is are. why books are important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Read more, people. More. Read more. Uh, so then Hunter Joe, as he is referred to by Sarah, Hunter Joe comes down to the lake with his dog. No, no, Army Joe. Army Joe, I'm sorry. He's Army Joe. G.I. Joe, if you will. Okay. I kind of right. love this coming together of different sectors of society, too. Yeah. You've got, like, the yeah. educated city folk, and then, you know, Army Joe, who's just out with his rifle, or, I don't know, whatever kind of it gun he had. Thank you. Sometimes I can guess correctly. Uh, and they're all, you know, they're, it's, like, having this nice moment. And his dog. Little buddy. And everybody's kind of like, uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, first, when you hear the dog, don't you think it's the Guardian? Yes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, they did a good job of setting that up. Uh, So, uh, Army Joe, he shows up uh, later, because then they leave, because nothing happens. Thankfully, Army Joe's kind of cool, but you yeah, still but don't know if Army like, Joe's on the level. Oh, like, yeah. is he going like, to go? Army they Joe is they totally thought he was going to turn them in. Yeah. yeah. And so, now so, so now they're really like, okay, time to get the hell out of here. It's uh, over. But before they can, Army Joe shows up again and says, hey, don't go the main way. Take the back roads in Morocco because your boy's hanging up on a street lamp up there and he's not getting your visas anytime soon. Yeah, and still in the scene before he got to the you're not getting your visas part, Luke was like, but we need to wait for the visas. I was like, no, you do not. He's slow on Dude, the Dude, you just totally lucked out that he is not a secret guardian. Get the fuck out of there. Exactly. Luke, once again, just Ask not... him if you can take his rifle and get the fuck out of there. The, the urgency of the situation does not appear to be apparent to Luke. Like not even when he gets shot. <laughs> yes. Keep in mind, serious testosterone poisoning going on. He really just like I don't know. I don't know that anything to do with testosterone. I think that is just. He's, I don't know. Except just, there's an element of him. I think that he thinks he can save them all single-handedly. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. I think he they do kind of set that up in, the, in the first or second episode, whatever that was. Like yes. I'll take care of you. You'll all be fine because you have me, and I can rise above totalitarian regimes. But then, like, you see him play that out, and it's like you don't know how to take care of yourself, let alone anybody else. But yeah, so this leads to the escape scene that we've all seen from different angles at this point, um, which is them escaping in the car and crashing, and everybody. That was cool because I figured they just escaped on their own. So I love that they took what they planted and said, no, wait, there's actually a lot more yeah, to it. That was like a really that. cool idea and the way they did it. And like I said, I like how they piecemealed it kind of backwards mm-hmm. and made you kind of work for it more or less to see what had happened. Um, so we get the next, uh, we go to the bus stop. And so the bus is finally pulled up somewhere and Luke's like, I'm going to go back and find my wife and my kid. And then she's like, okay, before yeah, you do that, let me show you something. In. How's that? Uh, come into this church. It's cool. I got things to show you. And she's and like, everybody, did you notice everybody else is like, I'm not going, <laughs> going to that church. I don't need to go in that church. Well, I thought it was interesting. Before they, she even mentioned what it was, they both had the visceral reaction to the smell when they yes. first walked in. Like, before you even knew what they were going to show, they both kind of, like, made that face, like, oh, my God. And so you, like, knew something was kind of bad because he did it, like, when he first walked in or she did. 
and one of them made it first and then second, and you were like, oh. And she's yeah. like, so this is the, this was the church where they tried to uh, keep the protect the fertile women when the you know brothers of Jacob were trying to take over, and uh, it didn't go so well. And then they go to the shot, which is the creepiest freaking thing, yes. at least in this episode. Obviously not in the show, uh, but creepy as hell of all the people they hung from the ceiling of this church. And Which, it being in a church, too, is, and that's another Holocaust reference of a place, a town in France, that they rounded up all the Jews, and they put them in a church, and they burned them alive. And so the idea that you have this theocratic society where the church ostensibly would be the most holy place, and you use that to threaten people and to torture people. That's also something that happened here in America. Um, the Klan used to burn yeah. down black churches full of people. They would lock them in. Still does. Yeah. Well, not necessarily full of people, but black churches are certainly yeah. targeted. As beautiful as a horrifying shot can be, um, as far as camera work. And like, yeah, it was just the way they shot it because they really didn't show any like detail of the bodies or anything like that, but it definitely conveyed everything that you needed to see. You so. know what I kept thinking too was about the commander and how he is so involved in how all of this works. And if they, he sat down one day and thought, okay, after the initial takeover, what will the next steps be? I know. What we'll do is we'll hang people in churches. Like, how much is he involved in those day-to-day decisions about how this is carried out? And is he going out and actively doing these things? And Well, and that, again, gets into a similar Holocaust-type situation yes. of who's, who's, culpable. Like, like who's culpable and who came up with the final solution, as it were. For, I just carried it out. It was right. orders versus it was my yeah, at this point, At that point, it doesn't really matter who came up with it. Nobody said, hey, let's not do that. So well, at this did. point, you just you know, right? Didn't get to keep saying it exactly. Not for very long. Uh, so at this point, Luke finally gets it right. We've gotten through all of this. He's been chased down in an ambulance, shot, chased after seeing a woman with a tag on her ear. Uh, yeah. So yeah, at this point, Luke gets it. He's like, so "Oh, we, we know where Luke's threshold is. Yeah. It's dead bodies hanging in a church." And I will say, as a man, that sometimes that's what it takes. You know, no, like, men always talk about like, well, I didn't know she liked me. I didn't catch on any of the, her subtle signals. Is that what that's we're like? Very literal. <laughs> um, no, right. I cannot tell you how many fights I've had with my wife where she was, where it's like, why did it have to get all the way to the point where I'm screaming at you for you to realize there was a problem way back here? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, uh, so why did it have to take? Like, I think you I, know that about yes, you. Yes, I do. So it's gotten better. <laughs> But yeah, why does it have to take people hanging from the ceiling of a church for Luke to go, okay, maybe I shouldn't try and go back to where all the guys with the guns are that are trying to chase me down. Well, and Luke's belief of his wife and child's liveness <laughs> fluctuates. Quality of being still alive. <laughs> right? Fluctuates throughout this episode. Yeah. Sometimes he's, yeah, he's desperate to point. save them. Other times they're dead. And then, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but then they're dead. But then, oh no, they're alive. It's like, no, they're dead until you hear otherwise. I, or at least Schrodinger's family right there. Yeah. Maybe I'm a little... <laughs> Again, yeah. it's his they pessimistic... Exist, exist in both increased self of, of, of sense of self-worth, right? Well, if I go back and get them, surely they'll just hand them over. They'll we'll be go fine. to breakfast as planned and everything will be great. <laughs> I'll take care of it. I feel I'll like erase my brain of all the dead we'll bodies. We'll go and to then... pretend breakfast. It'll be great. But then he goes, oh, from the ceiling. Oh, of the church. Oh, uh, oh! It's like <laughs> like oh, this is like a thing that is happening on. for real. It's like a real. light bulb over his head that's been like, uh, like couldn't get it. <laughs> like flashing, China. Bing! He's like, oh, time to go then. Canada? Did you say Canada? I heard Canada. Let's roll. Yeah. So Canada's like ten minutes away, apparently by boat or something. I don't know. They never really specify. In my head, it's like you jump over it like a creek and you're there. Clearly not how it probably is, but you know that's how I like to think of it. So now we get to the boat scene, which, once again, in this show... Now they can't shoot again. Builds you up, builds you up. Everybody's going to get on the boat. We're going to go to Canada. Mm. Not so fast, my friend. I friends. was pissed when that uh, lady soldier died. Oh, man. Oh, dude, I was pissed. So we get to the boat, and of course, the boat guy can't just be cool. Because, again, in Gilead, nothing no, is easy. Cool. And he's like, hey, this is capitalism. They only paid for five. We got six here. And Luke's got drugs, so, you know, drugs help. So, and how... How does a wedding ring put him over the top? That, yeah, the wedding ring did not look particularly... Like, dude, like, he just gave you a shit ton of illicit drugs. Again, it's the currency is turning drugs. over. Yeah, I guess if the dude, maybe gold is the best... It's the gold standard, right? Really? We're going back to the gold standard. Oh. That's I what I assumed. I like going for a watch or something. That's what I thought, too. And then too, he, and then the he took out his wedding ring. I was like, that's it? And then it just makes me remember all... I was like, I pawned my wedding ring to go to Lollapalooza. Um, 
but he wasn't willing to give up the wedding album like a week ago. <laughs> He's, like, he's maturing and developing. He's come so far. But the church, the church. Luke's all grown up. Now he's, he's got the ring off. Up. Get that thing off. So Luke gets on the boat, and this is the best part. Like, did you get the impression they were the only two that made it on the boat? Was yes. him and the blonde woman? Yes. Everybody okay. Else so how angry? The nun got on. No, I don't. No, think I think that nun got shot because she was hanging out with the army lady Zoe, who was the mm-hmm. leader. How mad are you if you're those people? You just picked up right. Luke like 10 minutes just ago. And, and Luke's on the boat because he had Percocet right. and a wedding ring. And he got the blonde lady who's it's not talking. Of you know why? You know why, you know why they made it? Because he can take care of her. Yeah. I think he thinks he can. Oh, yeah. And somebody for him to take care of. Yeah. Maybe he feels better that way. He needs to feel needed. And so, yeah, because then the Gilead, the Guardians, they come out of nowhere and start shooting, which I thought the like shooting at night with was the... Pretty. like That was pretty cool where they were like glowing. But also like, I kind never of... Just, Realistically, seen that depicted. Glowy. I didn't. Because they're hot. Is there a still that hot? I would think so. I would yes. know. Maybe I'm underestimating. But when you look at the, the guns that they have, I would assume that they're pretty powerful. So I've never, I've just never seen it portrayed like that. It's like Nintendo. They're actual fireballs. <laughs> yeah. It's like GI Joe. They're all lasers. It looks a lot like a video game. I was like, I don't know about that. And the shoot first thing. The only thing that irked me about that is this whole thread, which I totally buy of. We will do anything to save the fertile women. Right, and wouldn't so you would think, think it's they fertile women like, do some to kind escape. of surround and then take the fertile women and yeah. then yeah, shoot Luke, whatever. He's expendable at this point. Right. But I don't think they would risk shooting the fertile women. I I see, if they're really the smart, thing. they just blow up the boat. Right? Rocket launcher. Before people get on it, you mean? Correct. When you're a guardian, you can implement new rules. <laughs> never going to be a guardian. I'm on the wall hanging. I feel like we say this every episode. Yeah, we'll be on the wall There's no question fast. where Justin would be. Uh, so Luke makes it on the boat, <laughs> which again, I would be so mad. I'd be like, uh, that guy just that found guy, out like a week ago. We had to take him the to a church. didn't get shot right away. Right. He was probably pissed. Yeah. Like, uh, fucker. That, uh, that guy got on the boat. So then we, uh, fast forward three years later, which is, we're supposed to think now the modern time that the show has been taking place in the whole time. And that, that would be my one complaint is that. The jumping back forth and timelines, because they're so close together, sometimes gets a little, where are we, when are we, unless yeah. you're not paying attention. Because you're like, wait, especially last it week with the last week, yeah. stuff. I was just going to say, like, I got kind of The only confused. way you can tell is hair and makeup. Mm-hmm. And, and that like, was pretty subtle too, kind of. Yeah. And so I was like, when are we, where are we? Okay, we're now, or are we then? Are we then now, or are we now? Yeah. Okay. Is her hair slightly looser <laughs> or a little tighter? Is okay. that mascara? I can't tell. Wait. All right. So we fast forward three years later and we are in... Little, little America. I love that. That was awesome. You know, they, it's, like, so it's supposed to be like Chinatown or like Little Italy it would be, and now it's in Canada. And it's this marker of how low we've fallen, right? Because we are usually the one that has the little such and such. Because now everybody we, wants to come here. Now we yeah. are the little such yep. and such. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was really interesting that like even the office where the American, I don't even know, they don't even really say what she and is, whoever the government mm-hmm. official is. Um, it's like crammed into this little tiny boardroom and like all like three pictures dead of presidents. Ben Franklin yeah. and George Washington and Abe Lincoln are kind of all stuffed in there like yeah. we saved like these. Like all of America. This is all that's left of America. This is what we got. <laughs> Just got these three dudes. I also wondered like would little America be like the junkie part of Toronto? <laughs> <laughs> so Luke gets called into this government office. Flyers everywhere of all the missing people. And this so, show makes me incredibly nervous for many reasons throughout the whole season, but that gave me a little bit of like a different nervousness. Like I got a little butterflies. Like I got like differently nervous. Like what would your flyer look like? Well, yeah, and it just that one felt even more real than everything else. Yeah, like the because that's something that we've the, seen happen, right? And I was eighteen or night or seventeen whenever um, two thousand September eleventh. Thank you. <laughs> words and thoughts um but yeah so that one was like almost a more urgent nervousness than some of the other nerves that i felt as i've been watching the show and read and read the book just felt super real and i liked that detail a lot for that reason because i think the show really tries to be authentic and this week too coming after the manchester terrorist attack right people looking for their daughters who are at the concert and well luke comes in um and then she's like hey you know some lady named june osborne and he's like yeah. All I could think was Joan Osborne. It was really <laughs> distracting. <laughs> what if God was one of us? And then we got on this whole train of Joan Osborne thinking. <laughs> I just wish they'd chosen a different name. Uh, so he, he does said, yeah, that's, uh, I think he says it's my wife. 
And she says, we thought so. So she hands him the paper, which was the paper that she wrote the note on, which everyone's kind of wondering, what did she write? And so he asked her, how long ago did you get this? Because he's still trying to figure out, is she alive? And she's like, three weeks ago. So at that point, he figures out she's super alive. Uh, and the note says, I love you so much. Save Hannah. And then just the entire very, uh, this is kind of reminiscent of the ending shot with uh, Offlin at the hospital, where they do just the close-up of his face. And it's just him crying. How does he not immediately ask that woman, do you have any word of my child? Right after that. Oh, I thought call. that was really... Well, I think he's just overwhelmed with like... Would you be that overwhelmed? I Would you probably... not immediately ask about your kid? Don't be Luke in this situation. Oh, <laughs> Look, I said, the first instinct, grab all the guns, shoot all the people. Not coat. Or pills. Or sutures. Gun, shoot. Then we get all that stuff. Same. All that. All that's going to be there. So that, that ends the episode. It was just Luke crying, which was all the feels for all the people. Because like when I was, I hadn't watched it yet, so I was seeing all the reaction kind of on the social media, and it was like me. It was like more than one post that I saw. It was like me after episode seven. It was just like tears, and I was like, "Oh man!" I think what kept me from that a, I told Justin we were like, I think I'm growing like a handmade stale, thicker skin, like, mm-hmm. getting a little bit numb to some of it because yeah. out of self preservation. But then also because I'm not such a Luke fan, it tempered the effect of the crying where I felt. Felt bad for him, sure, but I didn't need to cry with him at that moment. Yeah, I was kind of in the same boat. Same. Yeah. I, I like seeing the world as yeah. it's occurring and just seeing how it's all been affected and the transition part of it and just seeing how their idea of how that would take place. It gives you some hope, too, that there's a resistance out there doing something, which I think was also something that left me not as depressed. Was yeah, I thought there are other totally. people outside who can act totally. while in a limited way. And right. so we can look forward to that being part of the solution rather than, oh my God, it's just going to keep getting worse all the time. Yeah, just bad, 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 bad. The transition is super fascinating. And it's one of the reasons mm-hmm. that the Holocaust is is morbidly fascinating. When you learn about the Holocaust and you start to find out those details about the transition and who knew what and how long and who left when and how, that is so super interesting and when in the book it's just like one page she's like and that's how they did it they took our money they took our jobs and like but those two pages i read over and over again because obviously i wanted to get it all kind of processed before i moved on with the rest of the book but also because it is extra interesting it is one of the most fascinating things about it so i'm glad they're going into it in the show because Mm -hmm. that was one of the things that i felt kind of was left to be desired in the book that's kind of the thing that they the carrot they dangle sure. out of you for the vast majority of almost half the book oh, is yeah. how the hell did we get here mm-hmm. and how did it happen? And they don't really reveal that like until she talks about when they machine gun Congress. And even then, she just kind of throws it out yep. there. It's like four seconds. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's and like, like nothing. What? Oh, all right. That's I'm how like, they did it. More interested in that than the Hannah situation, although Hannah is interesting. But like, I uh, is the Hannah know. situation dealt with at all? Because she doesn't really know in the book at all. No. So there's no way for her to. Okay. No, but now that the show is digging into all of that, yeah. like I'm we've seen glimpses of children at different stages and stuff. Which... Well, and the note addressing Hannah, like you get that mm-hmm. that's going to happen, but I'm still more interested in the transition. Which is interesting if you think about it in the way the book is laid out, or really happens, in that it's recordings of her that are found years after. Like you're you're to think of the, for lack of a better term, the Handmaid's Underground Railroad, where they've finally gotten her out. Because they find him in like a house in Maine is what it is in the book. But that if those are the recordings then, then she doesn't know anything about Hannah then, which will be interesting to see how they deal with it in the show. Because if in the book she doesn't know, are they going to diverge from that and have her somehow find out about that? That's just a different path the plot takes. Because obviously in the book, she never knows if that's the last thing we've heard from her or those tapes. But She gets a picture, though. Really? Yes. From Serena Joy. From Serena Joy. Yeah. In exchange for... Something else, like Nick... Agreed to... No, it's not agreed to sex There's something else that happens, and Serena Joy says, like, I can show you a picture of Hannah, and she shows her a picture. It's some kind of bargain, but you're right. I don't remember what she... I wish I did. Okay. So, yeah, I think we're all thoroughly intrigued about where where the show is going. And Um, where it's going to stop. Yes. Yeah, although episodes left. I'm, I'm kind of ready. I feel like my head needs a little bit of, of a break from the intensity of Yeah, the could you imagine if this was a long season show? Oh, and I've, you know, it's funny, to, it's funny to read the varying opinions on people that want to binge it 
or feel like they could binge it. I keep telling people do not binge it. Don't do it. You'll be so depressed and your mind will be so fucked. Don't do it. I binged Breaking Bad and it almost killed me. Wow. (laughs) I know. Never seen an episode of Breaking Bad. That's right. Me either. I've been holding out. Me neither. (gasps) Why? Because it's long and depressing. Yeah, I, don't and I never have, want I don't to submit to that in my life right now. It's good, though. Everybody talks their ass off about it for a reason. It's really good. Maybe Especially like the, the end. Sure, it's the really end good. is so good. It's you know good. what? I take that back. I saw the end. No. <laughs> Justin, I'm like yeah. Yeah, more infuriated now. Yeah. You don't even know about Gus Fring? He is one of the best actors. He kills in season three and four. He's no. It's a whole nother You gotta see it. so disappointed now. What? No, you're gonna have a sleepover. Sarah's brain is about to explode. I know. She like, can't even handle it right now. It'll be July when it's like so disgusting outside that none of us want to leave the house that I might consider. That's correct. I did it that one winter where we had all those snow days. Oh, yes. Like oh, back to back. Like the semester Packed didn't up. even yeah. start. I need my kid to be on for a really long time for that. Mm-hmm. All right. Next week we'll be back with episode eight. And hopefully we'll be, we'll probably still be sitting here talking about, about the fact that none of us have seen Breaking Bad except for Sarah and she <laughs> can't even handle it. Or the fact that we can actually go visit the Von Trapp house. Yes. Well, let's make it happen. So many things. Summer 2018. And next week, we might even make Sarah play piano. Uh, so, episode eight will be uh, next week. And uh, until then, thank you for listening to Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. You can find us. Uh, you've obviously found us. But if you want to tell anybody else where to find us, you can find us uh, wherever you get your podcast. You can also listen to our awesome radio station on Slacker Radio. It's called Handmaid's Resistance Radio. You can download their free app from any of your app stores, and you can listen for free at slacker.com. As always, please rate and review us if you are so inclined. We love the feedback. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those places. Once again, this is Justin, Rhea, Tiana, and Sarah for Made of the Handmaid's Tale podcast. See you next week.